laws of action reaction. So you want a basketball player to get into a one-two jump, uh, pull-up jumper at the elbow quicker. Well, if we can teach them to create that force into the ground quicker and get a quicker action out of the ground or a reaction out of the ground, we can get them to jump faster, jump quicker, get the shot off faster. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by one of the most respected athletic movement specialists in the world, Lee Taft. In the last 30 years, he has devoted the majority of his time training multi-directional speed to all ages and abilities. He also has a unique perspective on how the youth basketball model should work. To learn more about Coach Taft's workouts and philosophies, visit LeeTaft.com. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. Hey, Matt. Hey, Coach. How are you doing? Doing well. Everything good? Oh, yes. Tell me tell me how you're doing. Doing very well. Yeah, been busy. It's uh, We're uh, just got a quick walk in because I think we're supposed to get some rain for the next couple of days here. So I <laughs> Now you're in Florida? In you're in Florida yeah. right now? Yeah, we moved down a couple of years ago. Yep. Okay. Well, I had the pleasure of meeting you very briefly, I believe, at our school uh, yeah. with, with, with PGC Performance College uh, yes. years ago, years ago. How long did you work with PGC? On and off several years because I my daughters went through it from when they were younger. So I would help coach stations. And then they asked me to do the you know, the athletic development part and create that curriculum. So I did that for a short period of time. And uh, yeah, so it was good. I, they're, they're, uh, they're a great program. Yeah, yeah. A special guys. I directed for them for five years and a lot of the things that uh, culture-wise, especially that we do at Faith, right from PGC. And, and so I know that you and, you and I are aligned in a lot of ways. I, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, basketballspeedspecialist.com. You know, a little bit, just tell about that, your your website, and what are some things that you offer uh, that can help coaches in their programs? Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, so we're really excited to offer that. What it is, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of putting out there what I've used for years in terms of trying to simplify coaching and the communication between player and coach. So offensively, it's very easy for us to say to a post player, hey, I want you to use a baseline spin move when we get the ball in the post because the defender's probably going to be on the top side, baseline spin or baseline drop, right? That's a common language. Defensively, we don't do that. Defensively, we just, you know, we, we might call a defense. So what we did a lot is if, for example, uh, ball screens or dribble handoffs is a big part of the game now. So if we're going to hedge that, if we're going to use a defensive strategy called a hedge. We talk about the footwork. Hey, we want you to use a snapshot on this, meaning they're not going to get out of position. They're not going to take a huge, long, lunging shuffle to get out of position. A snap shuffle is a very quick footwork, and then we can recover back. So the, the entire product is about building the foundation of how we're going to move from acceleration to, to hip turning to shuffling to lateral run and how we defend certain situations using 
various terminologies. And, and what it does, coach, is it makes it so you and I can yell out really quick, hey, here it comes, here it comes. Remember, you know, you could yell, hey, snap shuffle or waddle shuffle or whatever it is. And the athlete understands now what their responsibility is, just like we would on offense. That's so good that, because you're right on the money. I was all of a sudden going to these thoughts of with shot preparation, all the footwork pieces and the things we talk about. And we're very specific because that's really important. There's a whole other side to the game where, man, how vague are – this is probably my coaching on defense. Move your feet. Yeah, like right? that's all that's all I give them it's so <laughs> I, yeah. I definitely see the need for that well, well it's funny because I'm watching the NIT championship last night Xavier yeah. and, yeah. and you know, Texas A&M and I'm watching a couple guys get some cheap fouls and I'm sitting there thinking you know that's just high energy players sometimes doing what they do you know they're competitive but it also can be practiced it can be routinely practiced so it becomes a part of their DNA if it, it what we what we as coaches hold as important and what we preach consistently, the players will do. We know that from other things that we do on on offense or defense or press break or you know pressing whatever. So we try to do that defensively or just through a communication, and it just makes it simpler for the players. And and it can be very specific to you. Wow. You're a one-three-one team. Okay, you design it around that, but but come up with the the nomenclature yeah. that allows everybody to be on the same page. Yeah, that language piece is really important. If we want to shorten the gap between uh, in, the gap in learning and understanding what we're telling you, what they hear, and actually being able to do it, yeah. the better uh, continuity with our language that we have, the better it flows. Uh, I see it. So when you're watching a game like that, I, it's funny because I see these fouls happen kind of like you do, but I usually take it straight to just the decision making that uh, in that moment. And and but you can see, especially with movement, uh, things that they're missing are better ways that they can they they could do it. Yeah, yeah. So the other night, um, UConn women had a had an epic game with North Carolina State. Right. Well. Uh, North Carolina State's center, she had their, their strategy where they're going to hedge on that mid-ball screen, right? And so she got in foul, she got a foul on her one time because Becker kept extending it. She kept trying to get around it. Well, this, this defender used big, long, loping lateral shuffle. That got her in trouble because now she's out of her center of balance. Officials see that extension and they call it. But if we snap shuffle... We stay within ourselves. Our feet are in a good position to be able to go forward and back. And then she can run down if she has to run down the roll person. So I'm watching it and I'm saying, ah, there it is right there. That's the communication piece we got to get. Not that players are going to do everything perfect all the time. We know they're not. But if we can get the odds in our favor, yeah, that's that's how we win and lose games when we're, you know, if we're, especially if we're talented. Well, you're, you're talking about making your practice better. Yeah, you know, we want we want to practice perfectly, right? We know that's not possible, but as close right. to that as possible. And how much? How many of us, especially on the defensive side, are way less than perfect and could be way better with how we're teaching a, a, an action like a hedge? But I mean, it, it, at the moment when we most need it, we can't be yelling it out. They just have to instinctively do it right. And I think what you're, I think you're nailing something really important. 
it's uh, well, thank you. And it, and it's uh, it's fun for me because my background is as a teacher. I I, I enjoy the you know, the pedagogy, the teaching of skills. I enjoy breaking it down and making it easier. But what I realized is context matters. So I could do a Zoom PowerPoint with my basketball team. And they would kind of get what I'm saying, but it's not going to matter until I get them in practice and they make the mistake. And then I can immediately come back to that spot, correct them, give them the language. This is why we do it. It's just like you said earlier. If I shoot a shot and my elbows are out of position and I push it and whatever, I can come right back to that and say, well, here's why. So when athletes have context, learning goes up. We know yeah. that even from the classroom, right? But especially in a, a kinesthetic event like basketball, if they can feel it and then connect the dots, man, learning is going to go up exponentially. What daily habits set you up for success? I'm, the first and foremost one is the, the word habits critical in, in my uh, daily life because I am such a creature of habit because it opens up space in my brain because I just do things automatically. So I'm one that wakes up very early. Um, I work out early. I have a routine when I get up. These are things that I do. And then I, I come out here where I am right now in my garage. This is my, this is my, we call it the speed cave, but I have all my equipment and all my stuff and I train early before anybody's up. And that sets me up for a really good a uh, physical day and an emotional day because the exercise just increases my thought process. I think better when I when I have a good little workout in. So uh, that habit is really important to me. Um, and then from that point on, uh, this is one thing that I created as I've gotten much older and I've been involved with this for a long time. I try to accomplish things before noon. And that doesn't say that I don't have many things after noon that I that I'm responsible for. But in terms of things that I want to get done in my business, the habit that I created over the last couple of years is I try to get things done early, which makes me not waste time early. So I, I, I you know, whether it's writing a blog, doing a podcast, one of my own little podcasts, I've changed how I do that. Um, you know, doing my social media connections with people and getting video, uh, educational videos out. I try to do stuff early. So what that's done for me is it allows me to have a standard of work pace. And then it gives me the freedom in the afternoon to do what I want to do additionally. And I've kind of, find, at first it was hard for me. I'm like, ah, I got to still do that. <laughs> but then I realized, no, once I hit noon, the primary things are done unless whatever of importance has to be done afternoon, whatever timing or whatever. But for the most part, my busy work, I try to get done. And I'm going to tell you, I, I get so much more done throughout the day. And I feel better afternoon doing additional work because I don't have to do it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. If we don't have to do it, we'll do it. But if we have to do it, we're like, nah, I think I'm going to do it. You know, it's like, so that's helped me. Those are the habits that have helped me a lot. And, um, and I'm trying to, you know, I try to teach my own children that. And I have a 14-year-old son. My daughters are a little bit older. And I try to get him to understand that when you get things done, it's not in the back of your head anymore. You're not like worrying about it. It's just, it's done. Yeah. So yeah. So that's Man. one of my main habits. Yeah. Two things, two things from that one. You're so right on the money with 
like before 12, getting things or getting things done in the morning time. Yeah. Uh, I'm a teacher and, and I have, I do have uh, a lot of flexibility in the morning, but I have these things that like, whether it's reading or, you know, like you kind of mentioned working on, you know, social media and doing some things, there are some things that I like to get done. And I'll tell you, if, if I don't do it in the morning, the afternoon time will come. And by the evening time, I realize, wow, the things that I, I really wanted to get done today, I didn't do. And I was distracted by so many little, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll work on that. Oh, the lot. Okay. And you're, you're right on the money, but you, you, you have the discipline uh, to get there. I think that's huge. Yeah. And, you know, you remember Brian Tracy, right? Brian Tracy was one of the better uh, motivational speakers and organizational and goal setting was his big thing. Well, he had a book that was called Eat That Frog. And I remember reading that years ago. And he's saying, what can be worse than eating a frog? But if you have to, do it right off in the morning. Get it over. <laughs> so, so I've always, I would tell my athletes that. And I would, you know, obviously my kids, I said, look, you got to do it. Get it done right off. Do it. Yeah. And then it's over with. And then the best, you know, the best is to come. So second, or the other thing is I want to dive. So the whole idea behind this podcast is, you work out uh, in the morning. That's good. And that's important for our guys to know. But I, it's not what you do, but how you do what you do that's that's important. So I'm going to dive a little deeper uh, as I'm 40. I'm not I'm not a young man, but, uh, you know, I feel myself getting up there. And I don't feel like I'm old yet. What are some of the things that you're doing? Because I've seen your videos. And I follow you on Inst on Twitter. And I've seen you act. So it's different from just here's an athlete doing something I'm telling them to do. Like, yeah. coach, you actually do those things and yeah. you look athletic doing it. Yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your, what's your weekly kind of routine or split look like? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and this is what's funny is I've, I've never stopped working out. So it, it's allowed me to maintain motor programming. So like I still shoot a lot with my son. We shoot basket and, and, and I can still shoot really well because I've never stopped. Um, so when I work out, I've gotten to the point now where I work out seven days a week. Um, I have days that are maybe strictly mobility basis, so my body gets a recovery, but I'm still sweating and working out and going through some intensity. Uh, but for the most part, what I do is, just like I teach in athletic movements, we have movement patterns, right? We have sprinting and jumping and defensive shuffle and and backpedaling the hip. Those are all patterns. Well, in strength training, I do the same thing. I have days. When I focus on uh, more pushing horizontally, which would be a push-up or a bench press or a dumbbell bench press. I have days where I do more maybe vertical pulling, which could be a pull-up or a lat pull-down. And I do the same thing for my lower body. I have very knee-dominant days where I'm squatting and stepping up and lunging. And then I have hip-dominant days where I'm picking stuff up, like a deadlift or, a, you know, an, a, a, RDL. Or, yeah. or an RDL, yeah, Romanian yeah. deadlift. And so we'll do stuff like that. And what it does for me, and this is the fun part about training myself versus my athletes, is I kind of come in in the morning with a plan, but it'll switch like that if all of a sudden I start doing something. I'm like, nah, I don't feel that today. I can go to something else, you know. And so, but with my athletes, we have a program. And then obviously, if it's not working, just like a basketball practice, you got to you got to have a remedy for that. Yeah. But yeah, for myself, it's just, it's making sure I hit all the multi-planar movements so I stay very balanced. And I'm working really hard over the last year and a half 
on extending my full range of motion. So doing things that are increasing my tendon strength at terminal range of motion, very controlled. And it's amazing how much it's helped me. I feel I'm 56 and I probably feel better now than I did when I was 36 and, wow. and still pretty active and jumping just because I've, I've given myself more capacity to get through range of motion. So that, that's been pretty exciting for me. Coach, not that, uh, no, I'm going to, I was going to make a joke that not that I need the help, but if I, I need coach, I need the help. If, if, is there anything that you have kind of down, even if it's literally like, here's my weekly plan and kind of that, it, that you do have available for coaches. Cause I don't, I don't know if I, this is just off the top of my head. I don't know if I've never seen a workout from a coach for coaches because, because I think sometimes health wise, we're some of the worst or the, the, the unhealthiest people out there. We can't demonstrate anymore. We eat like crap. We drink stuff that we shouldn't. And, and, but we, we should be, we want to model the right things culturally within our program. We should be modeling those life habits as well. Do you have anything like that out there for coaches? You know, it's funny. I wish I did. I actually don't, but I, that, that's probably a good idea. Like I have, I have talked about, uh, and I've shown them like my schedule in the past and just how I do my day and stuff that I've shared with, with coaches. But in terms of uh, the actual workout, no, I, it's not a bad idea there. And you know, it was funny. The large reason why I do what I do is because I've had back pain for 35 years, but it wasn't because I did something wrong genetically. I was, I, my, my spine is, I've got some scoliosis and, some degeneration from it, but I have zero pain as long as I'm doing my exercises and long as I'm working. So my decisions when I used to just do the 16 hour days and I could hardly get up and my kids had to help me with my shoes and it was finally, look at, I have to prioritize me. Yeah. And then that allows me to help my, my people around me, my athletes, my other coaches or whoever I'm mentoring or whatever. Because when I couldn't move, I wasn't myself anymore. So that's partly why I do it. It, it just allows me to stay very healthy and feel good. And, um, you know, the older I get, I, I keep I keep really focused on that. That's always in the for- forefront. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. What are some opportunities for kind of learning and growth that you've recently found, some people that you're uh, uh, really into right now or enjoying kind of following? Yeah, so from a, from a standpoint of uh, strength and conditioning, I'm revisiting stuff with a guy by the name of Charles Poliquin who passed away, you know, not too long ago. Um, he's probably the most decorated strength coach ever. He, I read something the other day, he had like 260 something uh, Olympic medalists that he, he uh, worked with. And I, I mean, I've never heard of anybody have that many, yeah. right? And because he, because his thing is he's done it in this, and I, I have a point to re mentioning him. But he's had it from, you know, judo to figure skating to, you know, skiing or to anything. 
And the reason I mention that is because his principles matter. So a lot of my following right now, that whom I'm following, is I want to know their principles. Because we can, if we have solid principles, like we're watching Coach K possibly have his, you know, his last hurrah tonight. No, tomorrow night, right? Yeah. Or, um, or uh, you know, in the in the if he wins, you know, he, he gets one more. But one thing I always liked about him is he has standards and he has principles. That's what he guides his program by. A lot of us are detailed with rules. This is a rule, and this is what has to happen. He's like, eh, rules can get messy, but standards are standards. Principles, if we live by the principles. So Charles Poliquin, his his whole training is about principles. And if we follow the principles, we can put our own system into that. And that's what I like. So he's a guy I'm following. And obviously, there's many other people that, you know, may not be as as popular, as well-known guy. A guy by the name of Bill Hartman, who's a good friend of mine, incredibly intelligent, a physical therapist, but also a strength coach, very principle-based on how we breathe and how we move based on breath, how we get rid of pain based on that. So I follow people like that. And um, and that's been that's just been great for me. And I, I enjoy that process. I was just what well, Charles. How do you say his last name? It's Poliquin. Poliquin. I, I thought yeah. I think in the uh, Tools of Titans uh, that uh, Tim Ferriss wrote, he yes. was one of those guys in that. And he, yes. he, he would talk about you want bigger biceps squat. Like how the squat <laughs> would 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 help everything, and, and yeah. interesting guy for sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> your own program that you run. You talk about following some other guys. You have your own program. What are some of the standards and pillars in your program? Yeah, that's well. The the one staple that I have built my movement con- uh, competencies off over last 30 plus years is I base everything off laws of movement. So people will say to me, Lee, you're like, you do the same thing all the time. I'm like, well, because gravity hasn't changed yet. And so gravity changes, right? That's, that's a law. We know gravity affects me a certain way. So I fight against it, right? Or uh, laws of action reaction. So you want a basketball player to get into a one-two jump, uh, pull-up jumper at the elbow quicker. Well, if we can teach them to create that force into the ground quicker and get a quicker action out of the ground or a reaction out of the ground, we can get them to jump faster, jump quicker, get the shot off faster. Same thing if I need them to run the floor uh, faster. So we base it on that laws of acceleration. We have to have where we're going to push. If I want to go in a direction, I have to push in the opposite direction. So that, that applies to my defensive shuffle. That applies to a lateral run if I'm trying to cut somebody off going baseline. And when I talk to athletes on that, I make it very bare bones basic. I use my hands and I say, you want to go that way, apply force that way, right? And if we can do that with the proper stance or the proper foot position, we're going to get quicker immediately. So my training program is built on those principles or those laws of human movement that really don't change a lot. They just adopt or adapt to the to the scenario. If I'm going vertically, well, I don't want that wide defensive stance. I need my feet underneath me so I can be like a rocket ship and push my fire down so I can go up, right? Yeah. So those are the basis of my program. And if I if I um, talk, if I were to dive into the actual like 
biomechanics or the limb movement for, for your listeners. If, if we're doing a defensive shuffle to the right, my backside leg pushes my body that way while my front side leg actually opens up. And you'll notice defenders will open that front side foot, often pull with their heel. Well, rather than disagreeing with that because we think something differently, ask why. Why would the body, well, then we can go back to fight or flight. When I'm afraid and I want to escape from something, I push and I open so that I can run and go. Well, the shuffle isn't my fastest motion, but it might be the best motion that I can use. So all my techniques are based on these principles of motion. What does biomechanics look like in various situations? And it keeps it very cut and dry for myself. And then I can obviously communicate that easily to my athletes. I'm just trying, we're going to get into maybe some weekly, uh, what, a, what a week's workout could look like for, for sure. players. And, but just based on what you just said, would it be, I'm thinking of a workout maybe that I've put together for my players in the weight room during the spring. Cause you and I are talking right about at the beginning of April right now. And yep. I feel like I probably need to revisit that workout and think of it and not in terms of just pure strength training, but based on a basketball player and how they move and what needs they have on the floor, what parts of the workout are actually enhancing or working through those movements? Because right now, besides a box jump, I don't think my guys are training in a way that will necessarily – overall, just strength, I could see that. Yep. But helping them on the floor, I don't know. Well, the great here's the great thing about movement, and this might help some of the listeners who are involved obviously in coaching or training basketball players, is if we can in enhance or increase the amount of force we can produce, okay? So you're doing that in the weight room, and you're also doing that with your box jumps. They're gonna produce force pretty hard to get their body up onto the box, right? Now, that force is gonna be remembered and it's going to be able to be used even if I'm moving laterally. And the great thing about basketball is it brings out those patterns just by the nature of the sport. So if I'm playing basketball, I know I'm going to move laterally. That's just the nature. If I was a track athlete, I would be concerned about that because my sport makes me go linear. But in basketball, the minute they play pickup or they play three and three or whatever, they're going to shuffle. So they're going to build that. Now, the strength training that you're doing in the weight room and the box jumping and whatever other, maybe some medicine ball work or whatever, that is gonna be utilized into those patterns. So the fact that you're changing the brain to tell the muscles, hey, I need more force out of you because now I've got a 95 pound bar on my back or on my shoulders or on my chest. Now I need more help. I need more recruitment of these muscles well, that doesn't get forgotten when you get to the basketball course. So that's the good thing. You're going to okay. cover more bases than you think. Yeah. But if you want to help them, let me give you a really simple way because we did this with our teams, okay? If I want to enhance the force production, shuffling laterally, which also means I can laterally run faster. I just took a simple elastic band. So if we took something like this, okay, an elastic band, in which I had enough for my team to get into partners and each one had them. We put it around their waist and we would have them shuffle across the lane. So if, if you were doing it, coach, I had the band around you, I'm resisting you, I resist you. 
along as you're moving into your defensive shuffle across the, the lane. And then we, I get on the other side of you and you use your other foot to, to shuffle across. Do a couple reps, a couple sets, and then I do it and we, we alternate. That is a very specific way to increase force production in the shuffle pattern. As we're in the weight room, you're just improve, you're improving force, you're improving you know, the ability to handle some heavier weights and stuff, which is all very good. But if I wanna make it specific, that's all I have to do. You know, a yeah. $15 tubing, put it around their waist, and then they can get some specific application. I've also obviously been a part of some workouts myself where, where I do that, and I've watched other people uh, use tools like that, specifically with like the lateral shuffle, having a band around their waist. I've seen some very slow patterns in movement, and then I've also seen some where they are going full speed back and forth. What's the difference, but like, what's the reasoning behind going slow versus full speed like that? Right. So if you're going to go slow, it's a different pattern than it is if you're going fast because, because a, a shuffle done at full speed uses so much mass and momentum forces. It becomes easier the more they move as where if I go slow and, and the resistance band is fairly heavy, like sometimes people will doing it pull a sled, like they'll pull a sled on turf or They'll use something on a basketball court and put towels underneath it so it slides with some weight. If you go slow, what you're doing there is you're, you're increasing your maximum force output for that exercise over a longer period of time. Hmm. As where if I shuffle with my body weight, I reach that maximum force output for a split second. And then once I start moving, momentum takes over. The band, the heavier resistance, allows me to hit that multiple times. So that's really the difference. Both of them are great. Okay. But if you want to improve the pattern, you need to do it at maximum speed. That's yeah. how the actual coordination of the pattern is going to get better. So, yeah, that's okay. how you would do that. Coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The Biology Skill Assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NIA and NJCAA to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This 10-minute, 100-shot test can be taken for free today on the Biology mobile app. Elevate your game. I think there's a lot of coaches, that, especially at smaller schools like I'm at, where we don't necessarily have a full-time strength coach. And so there may be somebody in the school, a lot of times as a football coach, that it may just give us workouts, or if it's like me, I want to try to do my very best to have a basketball-tailored workout for my players. Uh, what are some strength training areas or, or just areas of workouts that for basketball players we, we need to be focusing on, we, we can't miss? Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I think it's really – I talked earlier about these movement patterns. It's critical that basketball players have the ability to, whether it's bilateral, two legs, or unilateral, a single leg exercise, where they can squat and get out of that position with ankle dorsiflexion. And all that means is my knees traveled forward near my toes or past my toes with my foot flat on the ground. But because my knee travels forward and my foot's flat, for the most part, the weight's going to go to the ball of the foot where I want it. And the reason I'm saying this is critical, we, we saw, unfortunately, the other night, Villanova, one of their players ruptured a, a, an Achilles tendon. Well, 
the reasons could be multiple, but that is an example. When we get at those extreme ranges of yeah. motion, yeah. something's going to give at times. And unfortunately, players, that's what they'll, they'll have. So if I can do squatting like a step up or a single leg squat where I just squat down, my butt touches a bench and I stand back up on one leg, okay, that, which is much more intense, but it's very safe. The ability to do that and get through dorsiflexion not only gives me this ability to have strength and force and power and all that stuff, but it makes me do that in these full range of motions where when we stress the tissues, the tissues get kind of sore and, and kind of ornery for a day or two. But then what happens is they, they get stronger. Stress adds um, like tensile strength and it adds tissue. So it gets stronger. So now I can handle more. And the more we do that, the better we get. So that's a staple for me with, with basketball. Another one that's really big is you you and your, your uh, listeners might be familiar with what's called a payoff press. A payoff press is basically taking a band or a cable, standing perpendicular to it, sideways, kind of like sideways to it, and taking it and pressing the handle out away from my chest. And what's happening is that that cable or band wants to pull me, my body back that way. So it's it's a core driven exercise. But what makes it critical for basketball is it's driven by how my stance is. So if we get in a defensive stance and we press that cable away from our body, longer arms, it gets harder the further we get because the band's trying to pull me towards the attachment point. That I do every single workout as an activation or as a pure strength trainer. But what it's doing is it's making my feet feel the angle as if there was actually force going on, like I was actually decelerating. So those are some of the things. And obviously bench press, you know, shoulder press, all those are critical because it builds good, healthy joints if we do it right. Real quick on, on both of those, the major ones you've mentioned, uh, sets and rep ranges. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yep. So I, I think anytime you're in the five to eight range, you're safe. Now, if you have some athletes in the offseason, you want to put a little bit of weight on them and you want some hypertrophy, a little bit more muscle, bring that to 8 to 12 to 15 reps, and we might do two to three sets. Okay. If we're going to stay in that five, six range of reps, we can push that up to four reps, excuse me, four sets. Um, but I don't think you can go wrong with three because of time commitment yeah. and, and the overall stress to a body. If if they were doing absolutely nothing else, no other physical stress, you could say five sets of five and do stuff like that. But I think you do three sets of, let, let's give a day here. So let's say uh, today, all right, on, on this particular day, we'll call this an A day. Right? You as a teacher understand yep. uh, A day, B day, A day, right? So A day, we're going to do an explosive lift first. The nervous system is fresh. It's, it's, it's not fatigued. So let's do the box jump you talked about. Let's do three sets, five reps, maximum effort, as high as you can. Okay. After that, now we're going to go into what we call supersets, which means we're going to do two exercises, non-competing, back-to-back. So now we might go into maybe we want to do a type of a squat. Okay. We could do a goblet squat where we hold a kettlebell or a dumbbell and squat, or we could do a barbell squat. We're going to do three sets of five to six reps of those. We're going to rest maybe 45 to 60 seconds. And then we're going to go over to the dumbbells and we're going to do dumbbell shoulder press. 
And we're going to do that five, six, seven reps, three sets. And we're going to, and then once we've done that, we're going to move on to two other patterns. And we can go to maybe a row, a dumbbell row. We could do a strap row. We could do something like that. And we like to hit two leg exercises if we can. So if we squatted, now we might do a secondary leg exercise, maybe like an RDL, like you mentioned before, a hip hinge, or you could literally just lay them on their backs, have them bend their knees and do a single leg glute bridge. Maybe they tug, you know, hug one knee to their chest and they raise their butt off the ground by pushing their foot of the other leg into the ground. And that's a great glute hamstring, kind of a hinge type pattern. And then if that, for me, that would be pretty much it. But if I wanted to throw a core exercise in there, I could do that as well. And then on the B day, let's switch those. Maybe we're going to do a medicine ball upper body explosive rather than a lower body. And then rather than doing that squat, we're going to start off with our hinge pattern. So an RDL or something of that matter. Rather than doing a vertical press, we're going to do bench press. So we're going to do push-ups. Rather than doing a, a pull-up, or excuse me, a row, we're going to do a pull-up. So see how we just, we just, yeah. yeah, that way the athletes get exposure to all those. You get balance in them and it's so easy to manipulate it. And here's one other thing I would do to add variety. If you go four weeks doing all bilateral stuff, the next four weeks, you could do all unilateral stuff and then go back to four. So that way it's always fresh for them. They can see their strength going up and it's a great way to keep them healthy. That's good. Do you, do you, so you're talking a, ba, a day, B day, you know, if that's four days a week, uh, is there anything we need to be concerned with them, you know, getting legs in or a, a leg movement four times a week like that? Uh, no, not as long as the reps are appropriate and they're getting rest. But if you know you're going to go four days a week, then what I would do is I do like my A day might be all upper body and my B day might be all lower body. And then but with, go, with the same with those same splits though, like or the yeah. same supersets with a movement like this, and then another movement here, and then all okay, I like that. Yeah, yeah, you can mix it. It's just it's it's just based on the reason I like A day B day is because if I'm training, let's say you can only get one day in a week. All right. Well, what you could do is just choose whatever it is that you're going to do those exercises and do the supersets. And get exposure to all those lifts as much as you can. But if you're going to go two days a week, you got an A day, you got a B day. You go three days, A day, B day, B or A day, yeah. and then next week it's B day, A day, B day, and then it just alternates. And if it's four days a week, you can split it upper and lower body, so you you can manipulate it however it works best for your athletes. I like that. That's that, and and uh, thank you for sharing some of those those activities because as you're as you're talking, I. Literally, I could see the workout that we're putting together and some good things that we need to adjust, but but then also validation of some other areas where, okay, we're not too far off. So that's yeah, good. Yeah. In season versus out of season. You know, what are what are some of the big differences in, in strength training or, or speed, whatever we're doing with our athletes outside of basketball practice that we kind of need to be aware of? Sure. Yeah. It's, it always comes down to volume, right? We, we off season, we have the opportunity to do additional stuff because we know we don't have like a Tuesday, Friday game or a tournament on the weekend or something. We just have, you know, open gym or practice or workout. 
So we can increase our volume. We can work on some weaknesses. We might be able to strength train for 45 minutes as we're during the season or preseason. We might be able to get 20 minutes only. So we have to kind of pick and choose. But let me give the listeners a really good speed development program they can use off-season and into in-season. So this is what I did with my teams. Maximum sprint speed, full sprinting is critical because it develops foot, ankle, lower leg, and the ability for it to be elastic. So if you want to jump higher, if you want to change directions quickly, get a really good, stiff, stable foot and ankle, and that'll help. So we did this. We sprinted twice a week during the preseason offseason, okay, just twice a week because we're trying to improve max. This is not condition. Trying to improve max speed. We started them out in about a six-week program, and we would start out about 20 meters, and then we'd go, you know, for a week, week and a half, and then we'd go uh, 25, 30, 35, 40, up to 40 uh, meters and then what we or yards. And then what we did is the lower it is, so 20, 25, we might do four to five sets or reps, okay? And then as we got up to 30, we went down to three to four, and then when we got to 40, two to three. But I, it had to be 100%, and we timed everything. Because if we time it, now we see progress and we and it kind of holds them accountable. So we did that. It didn't take very long, but we got fast. Our kids kept getting faster because they sprinted. Now we got into in-season. We sprinted once every seven to eight days. And what we did is we would go three sprints. We would go out of bounds on one corner. And we would sprint across through the center jump circle to about the opposite wing. And that gave us room to slow down. So we get about 25 yards to 30 yards, depending on how much out of bounds room you have. We did that once, three times, full speed after we've warmed up. That's it. That maintained in some athletes it actually improved their speed, but at least we never lost it. The second thing we did is we marked off seven yards. And so seven yards for the listeners is basically the baseline to about two feet above the foul line. Okay. So that's because if you can imagine 15 feet. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Then you kind of, so we shuffle full speed, just like we're sprinting, but laterally. So we started on that baseline and shuffled for seven yards as hard as we can, walked back, turned around, shuffled using the other side. And did that anywhere between three to five times on each side. And and I'm telling you, the maximum ability to accelerate laterally quick was improved tremendously in the health of our groins, hamstrings. Yeah. It was up so simple, so easy. The only problem coaches have is they're like, oh, I feel like I'm not pushing them hard enough. And I'm like, exactly. I was just, that's, yeah. That's the whole point. I'm not trying to condition them. I'm trying to make them faster. So now you have a faster athlete. And here's if the athletes can, or the coaches can hear this message. This might make sense. If you have an athlete that can run 20 miles an hour, okay, that's their maximum speed. And if I can train them, and let's say I got them up to 22 miles an hour, okay? And now during a basketball game, most of the time they're they're running sub-maximum. Like they, you never get to your max speed or very up. But if they're running sub-maximally now at 20 miles an hour, they're that much faster because they just raise their ceiling up. So their sub-maximal speed actually makes them appear to be more conditioned, too, because we can go longer when we're at a sub-maximal level 
Because if I run a 400 as fast as I can compared to 80%, I could go longer at 80%. But if I raise my maximum speed and my submaximal speed raises, I'm a better athlete. Um, I look better shape and I can maintain those faster speeds even better. So when you look at it that way, you're like, it makes sense. Let's raise all that level of speed because their submaximal speed goes up. Uh, to me, that's a pretty big mind shift from, I think, what, I don't know, maybe from what we just have seen on on social media or YouTube, maybe from how we were coached, which is if you're not breathing hard and if you're not <laughs> bent over and dripping in sweat, you're not working. You're not yeah. getting better and faster. Like, yeah. what's the balance there between? Because when, the moment you said, I'll, I'll, just to be transparent, the moment yeah. you said, we sprint three times in my head. I thought that's it. Like that's not enough to get tired. Yeah. But yeah, speak to that shift where yeah. what's the balance. Definitely. So believe me, we get our kids in shape. Uh, my teams have always been a full court type of team. We press, we run. So we're in good shape and we'll get, if we construct our practices, right, we're going to get there. And our, our off season stuff was very much, ball dominant, but at high amounts of volume. So we got in shape, it was just very specific for them. But if, if I need to get faster or stronger, power lifters are the strongest people in the world, right? They only lift one rep, okay? That, that's maximum force. So if I can sprint three to four times at this particular distance, 100% effort, my nervous system is changing. It's, it's developing the coordination to move my limbs at that maximum speed. So if, I, if the coaches can change their mindset and say, listen, I can either have athletes that are incredibly uh, incredible shape, but not real fast, or athletes that are just thoroughbreds. They're faster than everybody on the court, and they're in good shape. Which one would you take, right? Yeah. That's the... <laughs> The athletes that can run and jump are the ones that dominate eventually, right? Yeah, and the yeah. ones who obviously have skill and can shoot. But if we are extremely fast, extremely quick, and we get in really good shape, man, it's tough to beat teams like that as long as they have a good, you know, skill set. And and uh, if you work with younger athletes, who dominates? The fastest athletes. The ones who can just run quicker, especially in the females game, girls game. I coach girls a lot. When I had girls that were just fast, we just ran by people. It just yeah. defensively, offensively, you just change the game. Yeah. So when they look at it, don't think hard breathing. Think neurological change. If I want to be a good foul shooter and you made me do 50 push-ups and said, now go shoot foul shots, you're probably going to make me a worse foul shooter because I just fatigued the heck out of it. My motor program is going to be off. I'm going to be muscling the ball up there. But if you said, Lee, I want you to shoot 20 perfect foul shots every day. I will get better if I do that. If I have a system of shooting that's correct, I'm going to get better. I could shoot 100, but that doesn't guarantee me I'm going to get better. Yeah. But if I can, if I do it, same thing with speed. Speed's the same way. Change the nervous system and you'll get faster. So it's not about just sheer volume. I'm going to, uh, we have guys running the weight room from 6.30 a.m. to 7.15 and I'm going to cram as much into that time as possible so that by the end, your shirt's wet. 
and, yeah. and you go, wow, that was a good workout. It's not yeah. about that as much as the level of output they're able to give to try to push against that wall, that barrier, and keep setting new ones. Is, is that kind of what you're telling me to do? Absolutely. Well, you know what? It is, but don't necessarily look at those workouts that are grinding and hard as bad things because right. sometimes athletes like that. And and sometimes it just, you know, it gives it gives some camaraderie. And as long as technique is good and everything is good, and in the off-season you have some nice time to do that. My thing is, because there's some area schools around where we live, and, and, and I, I'm going to do a seminar coming up in June here on trying to educate the coaches on this. During the off season, who cares how good a shape your kids are? Really, you're not, it's, it's like you might play a travel game or something like that, which is good. But I would much rather have a faster athlete, a stronger athlete, one that can start to improve their jumping and their first step quickness versus being in peak shape. I want them in peak shape when the, the school season starts. That's when we need to get shape so we can play a, a full full quarters because that, to me, matters more. Some people, AAU matters. It doesn't to me. I'm more of the traditional. I like the school and the camaraderie of the school and, and the you know cheerleaders, and I like that environment. That's what I grew up in. So I never cared about conditioning in the offseason. Yeah. Mine was always, we're going to be faster athletes, so when we go back to a new season, we're just going to try to run by people and we're going to shut them down defensively because we have more speed than you do. If I'm the same speed as I was last year, that's my fault. I didn't, I didn't prioritize that. I, but I, I tell you, I think this way of thinking about, you know, off season training for us as high school, I, I, I changed my thinking on that to where players really have two seasons now a year. Yes. They have yes. their school season and then they have their select season. And I was one of those coaches that, School season, hey, guys, you're all in on what we're doing. I don't want any distractions. We're going to – okay, now it's select season. Guys, listen, you're still all in on what we're doing. I don't want – you know, I, and I was uh, uh, not allowing them to focus. And I, so I've tried to – I've made that shift. But I, I still fall in the trap of, you know, we're still going to condition right now. Our workouts are still – nothing wrong, like you said, nothing wrong with being pushed or whatnot. But I think – this type of training, this type of thinking of, of really maximizing their time, it'll because they are still if they're playing select ball, guys or girls, they're still in shape. They're still they're pro, they might oh, yeah. be even playing more games than what they did in season. So this will this could keep them healthier. This could allow them to stay fresher throughout this time instead of long grueling season. Now it's time to grind even harder but you're still playing tons of games. I just think this is uh, really healthy. Again, as a former athlete, I've had a lot of strength training or guys telling me what to do. So I've gone through a lot of workouts, but I didn't go to school for that. Yeah. You know, and I, so I'm not, not near as knowledgeable as someone like you in that arena. But so sometimes I go off based off of, you know, uh, a workout that I see, uh, some things that I've done. Maybe maybe a, a college shows like a, a quick little video, of some stuff they're doing in the weight room. Right. So we try to, what are some things, common movements or some things that you've seen for basketball players that we as coaches, we need to keep them away from? Yeah, so a lot of it is some of the, some of the movements like the strongman competition, which we're starting to see even more in colleges doing because they like the, 
the rah-rah toughness. So like, let's say, I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but let's say like a tire flip. A tire flip, which is becoming really popular and it's a tough thing and kids do it, no problem with it if they have the capacity, if they have the lumbar strength, if they have the range of motion in their hips, their knees and their ankles to get into the right position. But I see teams starting off their season, eh, we're gonna tire flip and who can do the most? What we see are damaged lumbar spines, herniated discs, and these young kids all of a sudden are in pain at young age. So things that fall into that category, let's just stay simple. And remember, strength training is about improving, enhancing the experience on the basketball court or football or soccer or whatever you want to do. We're not training them to compete in <laughs> Olympic lifting yeah. unless they choose to do that. But that's not our job. Our job is to keep them healthy. So I would watch that. I would be cautious of like really heavy, uh, any kind of shoulder press, bench press that puts them in a, a, a compromised position where maybe just like that, all of a sudden a rotator cuff can be damaged and now they miss six, seven, eight weeks. And then it takes them another six, seven, eight weeks after they heal to get back. When so they higher rep, in, higher rep ranges and movements like that are safer or smarter just because the the weight will be lighter less chance of you know something giving out and, and it can yes it can be but if it, it's okay going if you stay in that five range yeah. and if you did go up it's just about making sure they've worked their way up technically so what we'll do a lot of times is we don't judge them on whether they could lift it we judge them on whether their technique was good. So it's kind of like, you know, the gymnastics. Did you have really good technique on your cartwheels and stuff like that? Same thing with lifting. Uh, you know what? You lifted it easy, but your form was bad. So let's fix the form. That way they don't get hurt, but they're really dialing in. It's just like if I took a, if I chucked a three-pointer from my hip. Oh, yeah, it went in. But how many times are you going to get that off in the game? <laughs> so it's kind of like we're not going to give you that point you got to shoot it the right way if you're going to get a point, right? And so it's kind of the same thing in the weight room. Treat them as if they're, they just need to gradually increase their force, their technique, keep them healthy, keep them feeling good. And more than anything, you want to keep them so they want to come back and do it again. Yeah. It's kind of like hitting a really good putt, even though you stunk the whole time in the golf, but the last hole you hit a good putt, yeah, I'm coming back next time. <laughs> same well, thing. But you, you, you said something like, the tire flip, the, the, in the weight room, you can adjust your weight to yeah. what's appropriate and yeah. to have good form. The tire is going to be heavy no matter who you are, how big you are, how small you are. It's the same, like, unless you have different sizes of tires, which exactly. most programs don't. There are one or two of them that they somehow found. And so they're flipping them. And, yeah, little Timmy is trying to do what the 300 pound guy can do. It, it just made me think of, uh, I was I was training for a Spartan race. And so I was doing a lot of movement things and some a lot of pull-ups and trying to, you know, be lower, lower on the ground and do some stuff. And a lot of the training I did really helped. There was one thing where it, it was just this huge uh, ball, a uh, uh, concrete <laughs> ball yeah. that they wanted me to pick up and carry. And I, man, I'm telling you, I don't know how I didn't 
break something, throw something out. And when I set it down, I was like, I'm never doing that again in that, that yeah. mindset, but I don't train for that. So why am I doing it? But I golly, it's just a lot of these talks that I get to have, it really highlights more of where I'm falling short with my players, the things I'm asking them to do that we don't do that in basketball. That's just a, you know, it, it looks cool and it makes me, my, my videos look great and, or I feel tough to my players. So I, I think it's great to evaluate that. And, you know, I always say to players, I said, do you think Kevin Durant cares if he can bench press 200 pounds, 185 pounds when he can drop 35 on you in a quarter? <laughs> I'm like, he doesn't care. And he's strong enough to do everything he needs to do on that point. Doesn't matter. Steph Curry's not the strongest guy in the world, but he's strong enough to play the game at a high level. You know, LeBron was just, you know, when he went through the line of being given genes, he was given, you know, the best body genes. You know, it, it just, it's about being a healthy athlete, being able to perform at a high level and using strength to stay healthy and to improve performance, but improve performance in basketball, not necessarily in the weight room. We just got to use the weight room for the right reason. Coaches. The one thing that every team needs is competent shooters. The last eight years at Grapevine Faith, our teams have averaged 354 made threes each season. I love getting to share with coaches how our shooters train and more importantly, how they think. If you would like to enhance your shooting culture at your school, contact me directly at jamodipodcast at gmail.com. I'm gonna share, if I can, I'm gonna share something I think you'll find interesting and it's, it's approach that I used in my system of coaching my programs that I've worked with. And I've recently talked with a friend of mine who's a NBA strength coach. And he said, Lee, we're getting 19 year olds that are having the same issues as guys that are typically in the NBA, they, they get when they're 29, 30, 31. They're getting them when they're 19, 20 because their AAU season is sometimes three times as long as their normal season, and then it's it's year round, so their 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 bodies are getting so beat up that they make it through high school, they get into college, and you start to see these Achilles and these yeah. hip structure issues just because of the the amount of density that's put into a day. So this is the system that anytime I've taken over program, I put in, and it always took some convincing, but I think when Parents and athletes listen to the rationale, they understood it. So number one, we're gonna improve skill. Gotta dribble better, gotta shoot better, gotta finish at the rim, gotta, that, that's the number one. So we have a program for skill development. Number two, tactical understanding. You need to be able to understand how to make a pocket pass. You need to know how to throw a fade, how to, you know, how to come off a ball screen or a dribble handoff, a pistol action, or, you know, we're gonna have some tactical understanding. We're gonna raise the bar on that. So now players, when a play breaks down, they can play, they, they can still do stuff. So tactical elevation goes up. So we have a segment of our off-season training that really hits that. The third one is athletic development. We have to become better athletes. So those three things we implement into our off-season training. And then what I would do, is rather than having my kids do a lot of travel basketball, but I told them, if you want to do that, that's between you and your mom and dad. Go, go do it. But let me explain, if your goal is to be a better player, I have a better solution, a much cheaper one, less time consuming. But here's what we're going to do. 
So what I would do is when we were allowed, when the state allowed you to do it, rather than playing travel, what I would do is I'd call local either travel teams up or other schools and say, come on over and scrimmage with us. No official. We'll do it. Or I'll have some other older guys come in and do it. Um, you get the ball 10 times, half court, run your offense. We're going to defend you. If there's a mistake, stop us. We'll set back up, correct your team right there on the spot. We would do treat it like a football you know, scrimmage where you get yeah. 10 off at the place. We would do that. Then we would say, okay, let's go out of bounds at three-quarter court. And then we would put in full court. Then we would do like, all right, 30 seconds. We're down three. You got the ball. Go. And we would put in, we'd do like an hour and a half. The kids loved it. I'd let parents come and watch. They'd hear the coaching, see the stuff. And so I would hit multiple teams like that. Didn't cost any money. The kids got to play competitive against other schools. The coaches got a chance to teach and actually in an environment where it's not their own players who cheat on defense all the time because they know the play, right? That's right. So every time I started up a new program, that was the system I put up. And then the parents finally said, now I see why you didn't want us to do AAU. And I said, it wasn't that I didn't want you to do AAU. Your goal and my goal is the same. You're just being told that the only way you can do it is to spend $1,500 and travel across the country and play AAU. The last point I want to make is I did a research study one time. I followed a player for a weekend tournament, and I did it a couple weekends in a row. That that This one player played, you know, most of the game, wasn't a point guard, played most of the game, touched the ball an average of 42 to 47 seconds per game. So I brought this to my families and my parents, and I said, your child can touch the ball 42 to 47 seconds. I found that's pretty much the average of most players in, when they're in a game. I said, there is still more they're learning in the game, but I said, their skill level is so low. What are they gaining going to an AAU tournament where like this high-powered AAU team is pressing you from the opening bell and you're getting beat by 60? Or your child can come in the gym with us and have the ball in their hand for 60 to 90 minutes and get really good. And that, and then they kind of look at me like, does that make sense? And I'm like, think about it. At the end of the day, they have to get better. That's all I'm trying to do. If AAU is the best solution for your child to get recognition, let's do it. But if not, most of you aren't good enough for AAU to be that impactful for you. And it's not that I'm against AAU. It's just that it, it's changed parents' mindset to thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't do AAU, my kid will never make it. I'm like, relax. That's not how it works, especially when they're sixth, seventh grade, you know, give them a chance to develop. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. Coach, that, that's super impactful. And, and I personally think you're right on the money. With I love the breakdown uh, of what the year looks like and, and the different uh, phases of the game that you're going to work on with your kids. But that approach to select basketball it's we talk so much with the kid or we see in kids today with social media it's the fear of being left out yeah like that's, that's a real fear but yeah. the parents get that too yeah. and it's the and I, I mean i have a you you mentioned you have a 14 year old my, mine's 15 he's at fate and i uh, my, with my wife i we were like a year ago we said we are falling into this oh, if he doesn't get on a team right now I mean, we, and this snowball of what yeah. next, basically the next 10 years of his life. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> hold on. What, what can we, what is he doing daily to help? And then at PGC, 
we have a, a, one of my favorite talks when I was, was directing with them was uh, getting seen versus getting good. And there was a breakdown, just like you said, of weekend tournament, how much actually ball in your hand. And that whole idea of these kids are, we're, we're trying to get exposure as a freshman and sophomore, but instead just getting exposed to right. how behind we are in the game. So you Great and I, yeah, and I would say a lot of high school coaches are very like-minded, but the parents and players that do happen to hear this, that was really important. Well, I appreciate it. And, and the other thing is to remember is that if, if we were to just take a snapshot of an AAU tournament or a free scrimmage at your gym, it's the same thing. It's still dribbling with my right, dribbling with my left, doing this, doing that. It's, it's running a play. It's the same thing. It's just we, we prioritize the travel team because the potential of a college coach watching you. And you and I both know, I've been involved with this a long time. Most of the coaches that are watching you play or the, the smaller Division three or junior college or whatever, because the, the big guys, they already know who they're going to go watch. They've been following that player for years. They don't they, guess. They don't they, guess. Exactly. They know where they're going to be. They're going to go. And my thing is both my daughters were got scholarships to play college basketball, and neither one of them were on AAU teams. What they did, and this is what I found out, and this is what I tell my parents to do now. I have a girl right now that I'm working with, and I told her dad to do it. We, what I did is I told the local teams, look at, if a couple of your girls get sick or can't go to a tournament and you need a fill-in, my daughters would be more glad to play. So they probably played multiple times, didn't have to pay because the coaches were just glad to get them in. They played in a local tournament and got their, their fill of competition. But the yeah. rest of the time, they're in the gym with me and other kids lifting weights, getting faster, working on their left-hand finishes. But in an AAU game, a kid who doesn't have a left hand isn't going to work on their left hand during no. the game. It's, it's not a laboratory there where you experiment. You're right. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, that's just my take on it. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I, my thing is I want, to, I want to maximize potential and improvement in the player. Exposure will come. If you're yeah. good, you're good. The college is going to find you if you're a good player. So at a school like mine where uh, 200 – I don't know, 340 kids, half of them are boys. We need multiple sport athletes. Yeah. And But even though, I mean, the, the times where I have some of those players year-round, I know that I can get deeper in their skill. This question is more of, I, I love having football players come out uh, because of their strength and athleticism, yeah. their aggressiveness that they have. One common, if I have a player who has played basketball, I know they love it. One reason they decide not to play is because they've either been told or they feel like I'm going to lose strength during the season when I get back to football, I'm going to be behind. What are some things that we as basketball coaches can do? Because I, I always tell my guys, like, listen, we lift in season. Like, we actually lift yeah. three days a week, and we rarely miss that because yeah. it's important. Yep. How can we help? Yep, absolutely. So here's the couple, two things, because I was the same way. When I, back when I very first started coaching, I, I was, a, I was a football coach, basketball coach, track coach. And so we had multiple athletes and I was in a small school. So it was funny because my football players would come out, especially like I had a couple linemen that came out and played basketball. 
And I said, you got five fouls and you're going to use them. And that's what (laughs) I'm like, that was the advantage. So, well, what I would do with them is I'd say, listen, during this three month period of time, you're going to become a better athlete. You're going to get faster. You're going to get quicker. You're going to be more explosive. You're all those abilities are going to go up. The strength training we're going to do is not going to go down. You're just not going to be able to do as much of it. And you'll know that you'll feel that in your body because the basketball practice is different than a football practice. So what I would do is we would choose three primary lifts for those kids. Maybe it's a squat. Maybe it's a form of a deadlift or a hinge and a, and a bench press or a clean or whatever it was they wanted to do. About 20 minutes. We kept them strong. So what we would do is go with those kids. A lot of times we'd go three to five reps and we would push the weight fairly heavy. They never got sore. They kept getting stronger. And they felt good. Neurologically, they went up. Like their their CNS system was ramped up really good because of the heavier weight with really good form. And then they were done. They were at first they were like, Coach, I don't feel like I did a lot. I said, Yeah, but you just lifted your max for three reps or five reps in great form. What do you mean you didn't do enough? Watch in two weeks, that's gonna go up. That's how we did it. And they stayed very healthy. And because we only did it about 20 minutes. The, the volume didn't override their, you know, their fatigue levels to the point where they couldn't recover. And what was funny, my basketball kids started to say, well, I want to do that. I want to get, you know, <laughs> versus, you know, I would do some different stuff with them if I had to, just because they weren't exposed to that early on. Now, yeah, I just kind of make sure that they, uh, they know they're going to be a better athlete because basketball is going to help them move differently. And they're going to still be able to maintain that strength. And then when the season's over, they can get right back into their higher volume if they choose. So it'd be probably a good idea for when those guys come out. I, I don't like I don't like the idea or the feeling like it's us versus them with yeah. programs. Exactly. And and we're fortunate at Faith where I do have a good relationship with the football coach, but there's not a lot of dialogue. Uh, it would be probably smart for me to say, hey, Coach, these guys are coming out. Uh, what are a few things in the weight room? that you would like for them to continue to do and maintain uh, during our season so that when they do go, is that a good way to approach that? It's a great way to approach it. Why not? Why not? Why not have them involved and and interested in in knowing that they're they're, they're players? Because you can say to them, hey, laterally, they're going to get better. They're going to have stronger legs and feet because of that quickness and movement. What do you want them to do? What do you really, what's important to you to keep their numbers up there? And if they say, hey, you know, because they it's collision, we have to have a good bench press because they have to have enough shoulder strength or they have to be able to do the, you know, maybe a hex bar deadlift, which is a pretty safe uh, deadlift. We want to keep that number. Hey, great. We'll make sure they do it, you know, yeah. and, and it's really, really good. And sometimes those players might not play as many minutes overall just because they maybe not as as skilled, which is great. A lot of times what you can do is they can prioritize their training aspect even more so than your main starters who get a lot of volume in games. Coach, so much great stuff. And, and I feel like I have a good understanding of you as a, as a coach, as a person, as a strength coach, but I want to know you a little bit deeper. The, the, the speed round is going to help with that. So quick right. questions. First thing that pops in your head, you ready? Yep. Favorite, ready. favorite ice cream flavor? Strawberry. For high school, shot clock or no shot clock? Uh, shot clock. Oh. I, I, cha- I changed my mind. 
I changed my mind because, of course, I grew up when there wasn't a three-point line and all yeah. this stuff different. But I changed my mind. I think uh, I would like to have it. I would like to see them get rid of the five-second rule on dribbling and make the shot clock say, hey, now you got to play within that. Okay. Uh, yes, I love that. Uh, texting or talking? Talking. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Yep. Invisibility or super strength? <laughs> I would say, I would say, uh, super strength. I, I figured that one with you. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird question though, and I usually I like get, I, I usually get a look, and and I don't really know. Like, I, I need to figure out what does it say about a person when they answer one way or the other. I don't know. Um, if you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Oh yeah, that's. Um, I you know I would like to go at kind of the beginning of the industrial revolution and that time when things were happening that that would be the time i would like to be that's involved cool with. Yeah. yeah two more how many cups of coffee do you drink per day i don't i've never had yeah. coffee in my life isn't that funny never had it <laughs> that's what that's usually the response people are like are you kidding me i tried it one time i put my tongue in it and i'm like all right that's nah, nah. never okay. do it again <laughs> so for for energy or anything like that just uh just you naturally any I mean, I, I, I do like an occasional, and I hope you don't get off the call when I say this, an occasional yeah, no. uh, energy drink that doesn't have the, it says no sugar, but there's the <laughs> sucralose and stuff in it. But right. yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty much water. Um, you know, I have obviously my son, I have milk with stuff or a little, uh, my uh, protein. I have a natural protein I put in after a workout, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. What, know, kind of, what kind of protein do you like? We use what's called J-Rob. It's a natural uh, whey protein. Whey is really good for uh, multiple things. but So we use this J-Rob. It doesn't have all the other chemicals and stuff. Yeah. I've used it for probably 10 plus years. Okay. Can you yeah. find that on Amazon? Can you get that on Amazon? I, I think so. Okay. Pretty much any of the supplement stores or okay. sometimes grocery stores have okay. them too. Yeah. And last one, Coach, probably the most important, Godfather or Star Wars? Godfather. Godfather, you know what? I saw, because I remember I was in the movie theater, you had Star Wars, Godfather, Rocky, Jaws, all came out wow. within that 1975, 76, 77, all within that range. And I went to all of them. And it's funny, I think, what is it, the 50th reunion of the Godfather or something now, the original Godfather? And I remember watching that. My son's a Star Wars fan. I never. He's couldn't get I'm into more, it, huh? I'm more of a Rocky. Give me yeah, more Rocky. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I want to see him when he's 92 fighting somebody right. else at 78. I like... thought I thought Balboa was pretty great, Rocky Six. You know, and he looked pretty good for he sure. Did. That's I'm a simpleton. Look, yeah. just give me the guy who punches hard. I like awesome. that. Awesome. <laughs> oh, coach, so much gold in this. And I think a very uh just helpful uh episode and 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 information for coaches if 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 they had any questions or wanted to contact you, how can they do that? Yeah, definitely. And certainly LeeTaft.com is easy. You can find me anytime. Any of the social media is at LeeTaft. I'm trying to, I try to be active uh, to help support any questions that can reach me there. And if they want to come directly at me, my initials, LT at LeeTaft.com, they can come directly to me. That's not my business one. That'll come to me. And I'm always open to answering questions. Awesome. Coach, man, thank you so much for your time. This was incredible. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Good luck with your teams. Thank you. 
Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.